0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F Alright, let's do this. How are you what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucksters? Mark Marin. this is WTF. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Very excited about this show today. Todd Haynes Uh, the director of many great movies, currently the director of Carol, but uh, some of you may know his filmography. Uh, He got very famous in some circles with Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, which was actually very difficult to find for years. For years, it was hard to find. still hard to find for very specific reasons that I'll talk to him about. But if you were like me, you somehow managed to procure a VHS of it, and cherish it for years. Also, man, holy shit! Can I just thank all of you folks for um, for 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 watching *Marin* on Netflix? All three seasons are there, but the feedback that we're getting for season three is amazing. Uh, I, I didn't get a lot of feedback when it ran initially on IFC. I don't know why. Doesn't matter. But once it goes on on Netflix, it's just a a, a full on tidal wave. Of of really good feedback, and it's uh, it's exciting, because sometimes you think you work in a vacuum, and it's just great that you're watching it, that you're digging it, and uh, it gives me a lot of uh, good momentum, sort of happy momentum leading into the new season. We just finished tabling uh, the last of 12 scripts. I have to uh, finish writing the finale, and the stories are great. It's going to be a completely different... um, show this season really uh those of you who know how season three left off know that uh you know mark needs to the, the character of mark the character of marin needs a little help so uh we're gonna get him that uh, so so don't worry don't freak out about what happened at the end of uh of season three there but uh but again thanks for watching it i appreciate the feedback Oh, what I want to do also is clear up something. It seems that there are many new listeners to the show. And some of you may be baffled by my closing uh, scream, which is Boomer Lives. Uh, I got a couple of emails recently from people who were like, I don't, what is that story? Well, you can listen to all the episodes or I can explain it to you. Years ago, I had a cat called Boomer who was an outdoor cat, lived in the back. And I had him a long time And I love that guy. And right around the first or second day of shooting my first season of Marin, Boomer disappeared and did not return. And I have no real idea what happened to him. I can speculate for better or for worse. But instead of doing that, I honor him by screaming Boomer lives at the end. It's become sort of a a mythology, a mythological figure. I feel that Boomer watches over me at times. Uh, I name my uh, production company uh, Boomer Lives Productions. So... So that's that story. That's the story of, of Boomer. Now, look, you know, sometimes I talk to my comedian friends, uh, you know, for short phone conversations, and um, I wanted to talk to Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman is in a film that you can watch called I Smile Back, okay? It's a serious role. It's a heavy role. It's a dark role, and it was, it was fucking deep, folks. It's available on iTunes and video on demand. And the thing is, is that Sarah is nominated for a Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Female Lead Performance. And I wanted to call her up and talk to her about the experience of doing. I'd never seen her in a serious role. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe she did one other one. I'm not sure. But this one is it's heavy, man. And it's weird when you're a comic like I would never consider myself an actor per se. Like I can show up, but I got to bring all of me with me. I don't have a lot of craft in place. Sometimes it works. sometimes it works better than others. Usually, I do okay. but this this performance that Sarah did was like really emotional and and pretty disturbing. And I know for me, when you have to show up emotionally for a role and you don't have a lot of acting craft like me as a comic, uh, and you've got to get emotional. You know, it's really you getting emotional. You don't have any real distance. There's no sort of like snapping out of it. I'm going to talk to her a little bit about that and about uh, what her plans are, you know, in terms of doing these type of roles. But, uh, but let's let's talk to her now. I, I'm going to call Sarah Silverman. Hello, Sarah. Can you hear me?
1: I've never used the, my home phone.
0: <laughs> Very exciting. I'm glad to be part of this uh, exciting moment with you. <laughs> You didn't even know you had a home phone? How could you not know?
1: I just have never used it. and I, I did know I, I've noticed I have like a little phone in my kitchen, but it's it, the ringer doesn't isn't on, and I've never used it. And so I just was like, I guess this phone works, and I looked up my own number on my cell phone <laughs> and it was listed.
0: <laughs> all right, well that I look, you know, I love you first of all. Um, and I, you. And second of all, I, I watched your movie because I wanted to talk to you about it. And um, it's it's usually really I it, the movie I Smile Back. All right. So it's usually like I'll watch movies with people I know, like, you know, our friend Louie or whoever, mm. Todd. And sometimes I don't know if you have this experience where you see, you know, these guys you've known all your life and you see them trying to do a part and you're like, oh, that's that's just Todd doing a part.
1: And <laughs> I get lost in Todd Barry's work. Are you talking? Did you say Todd?
0: Well, no, I do too. I mean, he's great. He's great. He but is we, but, so good. But we also know each other as as people, right. you know. But like, I'm watching you, and and I'm like, holy fuck, this is serious. You took some like serious fucking emotional risks, and you know it was it was disturbing. And I felt uh, I had to you know check myself to realize that you know you were okay as Sarah, and this was mm-hmm. a movie. I mean, did you feel that when you were doing this movie where, you know, because he held the camera on you a lot, just kind of emoting.
1: Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> you know what I've found is um, almost everything I, I've i rolled my eyes at that actors say in interviews yeah. have be- has become true for me. <laughs> you know, like, uh, it, I couldn't shake it. You know, it felt like a low-grade flu for about, three weeks after we finished shooting it. you know you know what it is is I'm not experienced enough in this kind of acting to right. be able to just access my emotions and then put them back and and I don't have easy access to my emotions and Lainey is uh, see I'm saying my character's name like it's another person right <laughs> yeah um, Lainey is she feels so much and then she covers it expertly so I I had to get it all out uh, from their tightly compacted compartments inside me, and then I couldn't just put them back easily. Like, you always hear, like, Tom Hanks can be the life of the party on the set, and then they call action, and he's like Captain Phillips. Right, right. I, I don't have those skills yet you know so i i just kind of sat with them on my lap it wasn't you know i I had convinced myself it would still be fun because even though it's bleak because you know we'll have inside jokes and in between shooting it will be fun but um i'm so glad i didn't know ahead of time that that would not be the case
0: (laughs) it wasn't it it wasn't there was not a lot of fun on the set
1: well everyone was wonderful i mean it was something that was other than fun that was worthwhile or no, right, was but, exhilarating but i just i'm a fun slut like i, right. I if i knew it wouldn't be Fun. I ahead of time. I would have weaseled out of it a hundred percent. You well, well, know, well, well some part of I, you know, me. I yeah. like you know lunch with friends and right. belly laughs right. every day, and right. I'm terrified of the thought that that isn't going to happen. You know, for well, a month.
0: Well, something must have been uh, like challenging because, like, I, you know, I know I'm not a great actor, but I, I do try when I do my show to access feelings, you know, and I've done some fairly disturbing things. So whether we're good actors or not, and I think you were great. I think with, you're a
1: beautiful actor. Oh, you're
0: so sweet. And I thought you were beautiful in this movie, but like for you to access those kind of emotions, like there are several points in this movie, which is, it's bleak, but it, there there's something very real about it. Like, you know, it's a story about that. You you never, you don't ever really see on screen in this way where I think you're totally a sympathetic character sort of lost in a, in a pretty hopeless, um, um, you know the grip of uh, of addiction and, and 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 personal problems and 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 playing that up against you know a, a nice family, it must have just been sort of heartbreaking. But I assume outside of having a a good time on set, you must have been like, you know, I, I I'm I you you challenged yourself to go to those places and yeah. and and I, it
1: is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And she's but also she doesn't know she's in a drama right. necessarily. You know right. what I mean. She's just living her life. But her life is is pretty heartbreaking. And it was a lot of feelings, you know. I, I, I found myself acting out on set, you know. Like, I'd be like how is there no coffee? It's free. It's, it's water and coffee. And then I'd be like, who is this person? And I realized I just like, I was like a toddler who didn't know what to do with her feelings. You know? I, um.
0: Well, you're pretty, uh, you know, you play your cards pretty close to your chest feelings wise. You're always pretty chipper and, and fun to be around. I, you know, I, and, and uh, I've never, I've never seen you lose your shit or 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 cry. Yeah, but... it's
1: not like me, really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how did this how did this happen? I know, like I saw Brian Copelman is in it. Now is, is it his wife wrote this thing?
1: Yeah, she wrote it. It was a novel, and uh, she adapted it into a screenplay with her writing partner Paige Dillon. Her name is Amy Copelman, and um, and how
0: yeah,
1: did... she she heard me on Stern,
0: uh-huh. and
1: um, just. Decided that it was me like I just it was just I got real lucky
0: it's weird because how do you, I mean you don't you know obviously we are among uh our peers of, of who are childless and you really had to to step up and and behave like a mother but I guess you've got so many nieces and nephews that that you know that you have that instinct in you
1: yeah and I I, I you know I'm 45 and I don't have kids and um you know it when you're a woman I'm finding out it's like I mean you get so much pressure I I got two emails within the span of a week two weeks ago from from people in my life who I don't necessarily know really well yeah who just out of nowhere just said, you should really have kids, and I've been thinking about you, and it's <laughs> such an odd thing to put on someone, and it's 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 a sadness for me because I love kids. I ache for kids, but I don't, but I love my life more. I just, I've, you can't have it all. You really can't, unless you're like a fun dad yeah. married to a woman who wants to have kids. And, right. And, Understands you're on the road and then you come home and everyone's like dad and you can give your best self. I could be a fun dad. I feel <laughs> totally prepared for that, but I don't have the lifestyle <laughs> that to be a fun um, mom is conducive to having kids the way I would want to have kids. What? And I've just made that choice, but it doesn't mean that I'm ha- that that choice is like easy. I have no regrets or right. no sadnesses about it, right, you know. And right. so, in a way, it was kind of perfect because. I have this sadness and this desperation around children that I feel like worked well for this part because she has so much anxiety about loving her kids and not wanting to fuck them up and, you know, um, no, and, and, and living in anxiety where she's, constantly saying i'm going to fuck them up i'm going to ruin them i'm going to abandon them i'm going to there's no room for anything else you well, know well, and it's energy and right. kids feel that oh, you no, know it's, they, it's, it's, it's real it's science it's it's, it's matter you know yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not just like crystals and shit
0: yeah it's like the um it's well it's it's also the struggle i think of a self-centered parent that totally that, and and like you know everything you're saying to me about the reasons you have you have for not wanting kids which are reasonable is primarily because like you said you're you're fundamentally like your life the way it is so it's smart i don't have kids either because i'm a selfish anxiety-ridden mess yeah but and, yeah
1: and is that selfish because we're we're not having the kids you know no know no no I mean? no like, no. i think, I, there, think there I think there are plenty of people like us that do i i, I can't it blows my mind how easily people make the decision to have kids it's I'm totally paralyzed by it yeah me you
0: too know? me too but I'm not saying that we're, we're selfish for not having kids I'm right, saying right. that that we identify our selfishness in that we just you know we don't want to ha- we don't necessarily have the emotional time or, or the desire completely to make that choice with our life but a lot yeah. of people who are like that uh, still have the kids. Uh, Like my parents, for instance.
1: (laughs) Well, you're glad that they did. I'm glad that they uh, did. Oh,
0: thank you. But I thought that that element of your personality, of of being very hard on yourself, you know, because you don't want to be, you don't want to fuck the kids up. And this character is fundamentally selfish because she's consumed with her own problems.
1: Well, that's exactly right. There's no room for anything else. She's so, you know, people, you know, and it's funny because there have been parallels to this part with like stuff I've thought about in comedy and of course it's so totally different than comedy but you know just the idea that people think that this self-hatred is modesty and it's the opposite it's total self-obsession there's no room for anything else so she might be consumed with i'm gonna ruin my kids i'm gonna what if what if what if like that that living in that anxiety state it is totally self Consumption. Is oh yeah, the
0: right word? no, no, no. you're, you're, itself, you're, uh, you're, yeah, completely self-consumed because you're not really like the character, and, and maybe like is not necessarily capable of nurturing. Like all those parts where you're just looking at your kids, looking at your daughter, and you feel this like distance there, but you're completely panicked, but you're sort of unable to reach out properly. I mean, Jesus Christ, Sarah, that scene where you know you're fucked up and you go into your daughter's bedroom, that scene with that teddy bear was crazy. Yeah. I mean like I in like I've been on sets before. Was that one of those situations where the director's like, All right, can we clear the set please? Can we Well
1: there's nothing really to clear because the the crew was so bare bones anyway every day. You know, it's we you know, it's a four hundred thousand dollar movie, so it, there wasn't um Right
0: really excess
1: people on the set at any given time but
0: but were they saying things did he say things like you know you know give her space do you need space to sort of figure out and get into this it's really kind of intense when you you're put in a position to have those kind of emotions you know on camera and you're sort of like all right uh action and it's like it's really fucking heavy was it did you feel that when you were doing some of this stuff
1: yeah i just um I think I just got to a place where I was so inside right. that head, and right. it just, everything felt, you know, like, you'd think that would be, like, the hardest, like, scene or something, but it wasn't because it was so exhilarating and challenging, and there was so much energy behind it that, you know, it was kind of, yeah. It I was, mean, fun isn't the word, but it was, you know, right. like, Ex- exhilarating, yeah. Because you, know? you were and in it, um, you were
0: in it, you were just so, you were totally immersed in it.
1: Yeah, I was immersed in it. Yeah, and and it is true. It was like I, I, I'm not. I don't have my ten thousand hours in of that kind of stuff to right, snap right. out of it or to access it easy and then put it back. So it was just. It was pretty intense. It but, you, was,
0: um... but you were willing. You were willing to go there, and you, you know, and you showed up for it emotionally. It's like, you know, I don't know how real, uh, you know, like people with 10,000 uh, uh, hours of acting or whatever or, or years of training. I do know something about comics, though, is we know how to be fucking present and yeah. uh y- you know when when necessary we can really you know be present and and you just sort of like you pulled it off and the and the supporting cast was great too josh charles was great oh. and the kids were great oh my god and, so delicious right they were so good yeah. and like at the end like i emailed you after i saw it uh, like i just couldn't like at the end of it you know i watched it on new year's eve and we, and we <laughs> We had to watch something else after because we didn't want to fuck up our New Year's Eve with the, the intent. I can't believe you watched
1: that New Year's <laughs> Eve. I guess there's no good time to watch it. I mean, well, go we, watch it.
0: <laughs> well, I, th- I don't think there's no good time to watch it, but it is like a very human story and it's a dark story. And it's it's not tragic in the sense that, you know, people die or anything, but it's it's tragic in its struggle and and there and I like I wrote you in the email like I want to believe that she's going to be okay. You know like there and that story comes from a, a place where you know because I'm a recovery guy I'm like she can still you know pull it together that woman. Everything's yeah. going to be all right for her. She just has
1: a really really low bottom.
0: <laughs> yes. And
1: we didn't see it yet. But but you <laughs> oh, know that's no. the thing that I the thing that I love about this movie is that it interests me about it is that it's there isn't anyone who isn't Or hasn't been on one side of this uh, depression or addiction in their life. And so what you think of her, whether you have empathy or total disdain or you fucking hate her guts or you your heart breaks for her, it, it has only everything to do with your life experience that you're walking into the theater or, you know, into your living room with, you
0: know? Yeah, absolutely. So what happens now? I'm very excited that you're, like, you're nominated for a SAG Award for for Best uh, Female Actress. That's fucking amazing. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? (laughs) (laughs) It's exciting. Do you want to do more of this type of acting, though, Sarah?
1: Um, I don't think I, yes, yes. Uh But I, I don't think I can, I don't, I, I don't know that I would ever want to do anything this bleak again, because yeah. it really, I'm so glad I did. Yeah. I, no, I don't, yes, I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely am interested in acting. I always have been. I just got this chance, you know, and, and got real lucky. But, um, but also, it's funny, and you know this probably, be, well, unless you have better stamina than me, but when you shoot your show, you're probably not out doing sets at night.
0: Not just on the weekend. Yeah, it's really hard because you oh, got to... I can't wanna... even
1: believe you could do that, but I, I just, it's... When when I do acting stuff, um, it takes me away from stand-up, and so I... Then when I am done and I can go back to stand-up, I'm like three steps behind where I left off, and I... It's a kind of sisyphysical yeah. like, <laughs> thing where I can't... Um, I'm well, not, like, I don't have an hour to headline on the road and actually make a living, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, I make no money in acting. Right. <laughs> I, no, no, that makes sense. I'm low rung, you know, which yeah. is fine. But to make a living, we're comics, and also it's who I am, you know, and it's, I, you know, I, I'm envious of people like um, Todd or Tig who yeah. – if they have only 15 minutes of new material, they can still go on the road because they can just do crowd work until they have, you know, they're brilliant without material, and I, I don't, like, trust myself enough for that, you know, so I I feel, um, I get so deficient in stand-up, and it's, it's kind of the one thing I can count on, so I you feel kind of free folly, but I do like, I do, you know, I like doing all those things. I like doing odd jobs.
0: I understand. Have you
1: not done stand-up for a month? It's, no, I can't remember. It's terrifying. terrifying. It's horrible
0: because you go back and you're like scared again and it's fucking ridiculous.
1: Yeah, it's it's just like the gym, you yeah. know I mean? Oh like yeah, absolutely. Because it's your whole life. Exactly. <laughs> you
0: know? No, but it was great and uh, and I'm, I'm excited for you and the, I think that ultimately the, the one of the great things is, is that now that you've, you know you're able to push yourself this far out emotionally, that anything in between, you know, your comedy and this type of emotional work, you know, is is open game now. Like it seems like you could probably handle any role, you know, within you know the parameters of of, of who you are, which is great.
1: That's beautiful.
0: Oh, thank That's you.
1: Inspiring.
0: I'm glad I said something inspiring.
1: You always do.
0: Well, I love you, and I and and I and I hope you win the thing, and and uh, <laughs> and I hope I see you soon.
1: Uh, me too. I love you too.
0: Thanks, Sarah. Bye. That was my friend Sarah, Sarah Silverman. Hope she wins. It's very exciting that she was nominated. Proud of her. Uh, I've known her since she was a kid. Really, I've known her. I knew her. I've known her since she went to college, when, and she started stand up shortly after that. I think she wasn't even twenty yet. So Todd Haynes, I, I was thrilled to get the opportunity to talk to Todd Haynes. I've been sort of mildly obsessed with his work for years. As I began to say at the beginning of the show, I had a VHS of the of Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story. I, I happened upon the film Poison, which actually is three films in one. In my recollection, when I was living in San Francisco in the early 90s, it was part of the Gay Film Festival. I think it was at the Castro. I believe I went to the premiere, and I couldn't wrap my brain around what what Todd was trying to say with this with this film. He's a real artist, Todd, and I've always been sort of fascinated with him and fascinated with his movies, especially because they confounded me. I followed his uh, his career. I went to see safe safe. Are you kidding me? When that movie came out, I don't even know where I was. I must have been in New York. I remember going to see it. I saw it with a friend of mine and I walked out just thinking like I have no fucking idea what that was about. But man, was that compelling. It always struck me that Todd Haynes had a a, a a vision. Like he made movies, especially the movies he wrote and directed, where uh, he had the freedom to do what he wanted to do, and and he had a true artistic vision. And and the movie Safe never left me. Like there, there's very few movies that do that. There are some big movies that, you know, obviously we all know that you can't get out of your head, but Safe is a, is a difficult film. And it's 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 sort of cryptic, but it, it never left my mind. When I think about it, it still has an effect on me. Velvet Goldmine—that was another one about Bowie and Iggy Pop, fictionalized. But that movie was fucking great. What a great period piece! Far from Heaven was amazing. His riff on the Douglas Sirk film—I just I just have a lot of uh, a lot of respect for the guy. He takes chances, and he makes real real art movies. I'm not there. Are you kidding? The Bob Dylan movie? What? I don't even know what that was. But I was like, holy shit, I got to reckon with this. And now this new one, Carol, which he directed only. But it, 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 the, the combination of this script and I guess this story, which is based on a book and his sensibility, his uh, auteur's vision. It was like a perfect match. I don't know if you've seen the film, Carol, but to me, it is one of the best love stories I've ever seen. Uh, it was completely moving to me. I've watched it three times, and I'm just astounded by you know what he was able to do with that camera, and also you know what he got out of those actors and the story itself. Just spectacular. So I was a little nervous here, um, you know, talking to Todd because uh, I you I, those of you who've been with me long enough know that um, if I'm a real fan, I, I get a little excited. But I was I was I was really it's 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 very exciting to talk to a director whose work that you are very familiar with and and we had a great conversation. So so and also I might want to mention that his new movie Carol is in theaters now. It's nominated for 5 Golden Globe Awards, 6 Independent Spirit Awards including best director for Todd. So this is my uh amazing conversation with Todd Haynes. But before we get into it I I just want to preface this with saying uh this is a this is a little filmy. This is <laughs> This is definitely a, a film fans conversation. All right. So here's, uh, you get your podcasts okay. so i'm uh, i'm excited to meet you i had no idea what to expect some of your movies have uh, <laughs> profoundly altered my brain no way no seriously that's
2: pretty cool no they're like that i have got really questions flattering. okay i've got right. questions Uh-oh. i hope i have answers
0: well, you might not, but I, I think you. I think you, a guy who makes movies like you should have a couple answers. We'll see. I mean, just the early ones. You got to have a couple sure. answers. Sure. No, I think I have. You do? Well, I we'll mean, see where your questions are. Well, I don't talk to directors too often, but we're we're about two years apart in age, so I feel yeah. like we've had some of the same influences. And you probably went to college with some friends of mine. Where'd you grow up, though? I grew up in L.A. You grew up in Los Angeles. I grew up in L.A. That's I'm not. That's not disappointing. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like no, where? It's good. I grew up in the valley. Really? Yep. Yeah. We were parents in show business? Not my folks. No.
2: My grandfather worked at Warner Brothers as what? Worked up from messenger boy. Yeah. To head of to union organizer, to head of set construction in 1940.
0: So he was a, a union set guy. He was a union set
2: guy at Warner. And got at Warner's. And got, you know, I don't know what his, how, how much the culture of LA and the people he was around sort of oriented his politics Uh and a sort of progressive streak. But definitely, yeah, yeah they definitely formed while he was there. Uh And he left when the blacklist culture just became too, you know. Out of disgust. Yeah. And his friends were getting blacklisted and he felt it. Oh, it really? wasn't him, but it was people he knew and people With, he admired
0: within those departments. Every department. Well, just?
2: I think he knew. You know, he, I think he knew writers, and uh-huh. there was a warm fraternity in uh-huh. that place, and I think he felt it.
0: Right, there was a small community to yeah, movie making at that time. Yeah. And did you know him well? Yes, he
2: was a huge part of my life. Did you go I to call, set? I call. Oh no, I didn't know him then. Oh, yeah, oh, that was the thirties, sure. forties. I, uh, but he started his own business. He was like a, he gave money for my film Poison. Did he? I mean, he put, he helped put me through college. I uh, called him Bompy, Uh-huh. And he was an amazing guy. And his wife, my grandmother. Mana. Uh-huh. Mana and Bompy. What Bumpy. kind of names are those? Baby names.
0: Oh, okay. That stuck. That everybody followed.
2: <laughs> all the grandkids followed suit. Was that your mom's dad or your, your dad's dad? That was my mom's mom and dad. Uh-huh. And uh, they were pretty, pretty awesome
0: people. And they were from here?
2: They were from, they were, they were born, he was born in Portland, Oregon.
0: Oh yeah? Moved when he
2: was a kid. I live in Portland, Oregon
0: now. Why? Is there any family connection there? No,
2: no. It was like my sister sort of rediscovered Portland in the 90s, Uh moved there. It was always like Wendy's town. Uh Uh-huh. And I moved when I, after living in New York for 15 years. Had enough.
0: Yeah. It had changed a lot. It's where cultured people run, that Portland. It is. Yeah, you know, it is. I hope it. I hope they know what to do. Yeah, other people run to Florida,
2: right? But I mean, they have amazing human resources in Portland, and I don't think Portland knows. Like, what do you mean? Well, just there's amazing people there. Oh, yeah, and people go there to be in Portland. Yeah, not because there's industry there, not because there's really jobs there, not because there's a university because it's Portland.
0: Because it's Portland. I like it all right, but I've never been sort of like, I got to live here. I mean, it's a little odd to me. It's uh, structurally and uh, the way it's laid out's a little peculiar. It seems a little dark, which I usually like, uh, but uh, I never quite got a handle on it. There's, I've had some good sandwiches. Some good food there. <laughs> There's some really good yeah. food there. Yeah.
2: No, I, I, I left at a time that I needed a change, right? And maybe even more than I knew, you know. And it, yeah. And I went away to write and get out of the city, and I met a lot of really cool people who were. Just not fully defining their lives by their careers and their ambitions and their, right and their uh, people who are just living life, k- kind of living life. <laughs> artists, writers, you know. And I and I uh, and I think I was going through a little bit of a midlife crisis. I started hanging out with people about ten years younger than me. That'll help. And yeah, no, either way. And actually. then they yeah. were, and at that point, they were still unattached, and there uh-huh. was that sense of fluidity and uh-huh. movement, you know. Right. And it reflected my life maybe a little more as a filmmaker uh-huh. than people, my peers in right. New York. And that. And then, of course, the music stopped. They all coupled up. Now they all have babies. Now I'm, now they're all <laughs> coupled Odd up. man out.
0: Exactly. What are we going to do with Todd? Yeah, that old, old geezer. <laughs> He's hanging around again. God. Wish he had some friends. <laughs> so, all right, well, let's go through it then. So your interest in film started when? Well, my interest
2: in film, I think, started, you know... When I saw my first movie, when I was a,
0: when I was three years old, when you, I saw, you can feel what feel was the your impact? what was your first movie? My actual first movie. Yeah, I think Do you remember. It, well, the one I remember, I remember going to Radio City with my grandmother to see something called the Red Tent. Which was- uh, Like a Disney thing? No, no. It was this horrible ice survival movie. I, like, I, Scary. It, was, yeah, it was disturbing, but we went to Radio City. I think we were in the city. She goes, I'd like to take you. I don't think she did put my research into it. Yeah. But I feel like that was one of the first ones I really remember seeing. Uh, you remember the show, the Radio City show before? Yeah, I remember the Rockettes a bit. Yeah. But I just remember a guy that went to die in a hole of ice. Like he, he had given up. Yikes. I just remember- yeah he got it he dug a hole in the ice and they just left him it was traumatizing and then my other Shit. grandparents when i was like eight or nine accidentally took me to deliverance so like my what yeah my early movie going experience i don't <laughs> think they knew what we were getting into i had no look i just watched that recently and i i did not remember it being as graphic whoa as it was but i, I you took were that, a kid when I, you went to see deliverance yes yeah yeah. Mark, I think that explains a lot. Does I, I think that might. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, what was yours?
2: I hope it was better. No, mine was mine was I you know, I guess past the 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 code. It was Mary Poppins. That was three. Uh, 1964. It had some kind of seismic effect on my brain. It 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 provoked a kind of intense um almost obsessive creative reaction to the movie. Really? Where I had to reproduce it draw pictures of mary poppins constantly act out scenes from mary poppins con- i mean some some yeah psychosis really set in you loved it i loved it and it it touched some crazy nerve and i'm and i'm sure the the maternal figure had some part in that uh-huh. and the, you know the spectacle of that movie with its animation and its live action and it's you know
0: the music yeah, sure how are things at home though generally
2: they were they were good. They were stable. Yeah, that's good. Parents fought, yeah. but they sort of fought it out, uh-huh. you know? They w- stayed they...
0: together. Did they? They did. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's also that escape thing, because I watched your film today. I watched Carol, which is like, what, what a great love story. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. It, that's why it, I sort of wanted to do it. I mean, it's a real love story yeah. in, in a very deep way. Yeah. And like, there were points where I didn't even know why I was experiencing emotion. Right. That's cool. Well, yeah, like, well, I'm, I'm not today. I don't know if you're getting it, but I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. I, I cry about everything now. I just get weepy at shit. Did you lose a parent no. recently? No, I didn't lose anybody. <laughs> I think I'm just watching my uh, my life go away. That's a, I mean, my <laughs>
2: mom. I lost my mom in 2010, and uh-huh. that produces surprising moments of sentimental, you know, affect. Like, whoa! I just walked past a flower patch and oh yeah <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm
0: crumbled yeah and mine usually has to do with story yeah like uh i haven't had the the kind of like just flowers or any right proustian no not quite like that but like you know it turns in stories and moments yeah. and yeah. things that are loaded up but we can get to carol later i, I did love it though like i love the way it looked was Thank tight. You. Thank you. Took a lot of work to make it look like that. It did. Oh, we, didn't, we
2: didn't have a lot of money and we didn't have a lot
0: of time. I, I don't even know how you manage that. It's very hard to make that effective in the, the tone of that time. What was that, the 40s? Early 50s. Early 50s. But you're
2: right. It wasn't the full-on 50s yet. Mm-hmm. It really felt like the end of the 40s, 52 into 53. But Eisenhower had not yet taken office. Right. He had right. been elected and you see his inaugural address at right. the end of the movie, right? But it really wasn't that Eisenhower gloss,
0: because I've seen, I've, I, th- I think I've seen all of your movies except for the the shorts, right? Um, and I even, I did see um, the Karen Carpenter story. You did? Yeah, I had it. I had it on videotape. Wow. I don't know where the hell I got it, but wow. I had it. Wow! And I used to show people it. I'm like, I can't watch this anywhere else. I got a copy. Awesome. But that felt like a feature, wasn't that like a feature? It was like
2: forty-seven minutes, like a weirdly length too long for a
0: short too short for a feature and i believe i saw the premiere of poison at the castro oh my theater oh god no way at the castro theater did it premiere at the castro theater it probably premiered during the gay film fest because yeah. i was living in in basically in san francisco in 92 yeah would that have been that about right that would be about right that would be exactly right and like i bit some pieces of that movie lodged in my head mostly the horror part the i know there was the black three, and white part the black and white part with Yeah, that, with that, the pus yeah, coming the out of the guy it drips into his hot dog, right? Yeah, while he's eating. His yeah, food. that that kind of stuff, like yeah. kind of stuck with the me. Psychotronic like the psychotronic uh, kind of the red tent thing, black, black all, and white. Yeah, that yeah. that, that yeah. went home. Carnival of Souls, safe. I never recovered from <laughs> because, like, I've never been so um, like you know, in 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 enraptured by a movie that I did not fucking understand. I, I it's a long movie. I remember. I remember like I went with people. It's like two and a half hours or something. No, it's not that long, but it probably feels that long. Okay, so that was intentional. <laughs> well, it has a pace all 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 of its
2: own. You but know, it was it
0: was one of those, and mo- it has
2: that whole final chapter in this crazy new age. Camp. Right, right.
0: Like I I remember being like, is that guy evil or is he good? Well, yeah. Well,
2: because he's described as you know an amazing leader with AIDS. Right. And that was a MacGuffin. That was a misleader on my part Uh because I wanted everybody to think, oh, wow, he's got to be a good guy.
0: Uh He's got AIDS. (laughs) But he's still one of those guys that runs a place like
2: that. And he basically is there to tell you that you're responsible for your own illness, the way people were telling a lot of people with HIV at the time, like Louise Hay, uh-huh. the new age guru, you know, right. writer.
0: That, you know, your, your immoral
2: lifestyle. Well, not even that. That you, if you learn how to love yourself, you'll get rid of your HIV. Oh, no. So was, it comes from a place of love, right? Right. A but, place that was, of, but that entraps the sufferer.
0: Right. And that's, that's an 11 years in. Place. That's like 95. So that's, you know, people are really dying. Yeah. Absolutely. But I remember I was with people and, and they were like, what? And I'm like, I don't know what, but it, <laughs> it meant something. There's something to that thing. It was very powerful, and I love her. She's amazing. And
2: that was a, a really crazy role. That was, was like an impossible role.
0: But we can for an talk about it essentially what it was. The Velvet Gold Mine, I saw because I love all those guys. I think we have same some similar heroes. Far From Heaven, I loved it, that look of that thing, but we're going to go backwards. I'm not there. I saw, found it difficult, it was difficult. Mm hmm. Okay. Are you Dylan Todd? fan? Yeah, I'm a big Dylan fan. Yeah. But once we got to the sort of weird western town with Colexico <laughs> and those guys But Carol, okay, so let's start there. So it's uh it's taken from a short story or a novel. It's taken from Patricia Highsmith's second novel. She wrote Strangers on a
2: train first. Her first but, outing. The the Hitchcock that she, sold, in. that she sold to Alfred Hitchcock. Okay, so this is in an her old early twenties. And I don't know what the date of Strangers on a Train was, but she wrote The Price of Salt, which is what Carol's based on, in fifty. Was published in fifty two. How did you come to that subject matter? This came to me. This is the only film I've made so far that I didn't originate and write and sort of struggle to get into, you know, into being. You hired on as my a director. Own. I was brought in. I mean, basically, it's I wasn't high I mean, I was the 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 person who'd been shepherding it last is Elizabeth Carlson, who's a uh-huh. producer, English producer, who I've known for years, is an old 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 friend. And Kate was attached to play Carol, and Sandy Powell was attached, the costume designer who had worked with so this. This is my third time with Sandy, so I'd heard about it, and the, I think they were moving from director to director or something. And my fall opened up in 2013, and they came to me with the project.
0: Uh huh. And, and who wrote the
2: script? Phyllis Naj, this woman who'd been with the project the longest. She'd probably been with Carol for almost 15 years, believe it or not.
0: Because it sort of functions thematically as a companion piece to Far From Heaven in a way. It, it People have definitely talked about it in that context. I mean, to shot- me,
2: they're really different in style and in tone. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, definitely.
2: But yeah, it deals with they both deal with homosexuality in the nineteen fifties, secret, uh, secretive lives or lives of people discovering things about themselves in so horrible you know. and
0: desire, kind of like pounding its way through yeah. uh, societal norms and personal uh, exactly uh, repression.
2: But in the you know, but in Far From Heaven, I really wanted to put you in this slightly strange position where you're aligned with the wife who basically has to stand by the family institution while the husband in secret is dealing with his his feelings uh-huh. and his homosexuality uh-huh. but you but we're aligned with the wife we're, we don't really have access to what he's doing and where he goes i mean we get little glimpses of it so why we're really on her on in her story which is the more passive side of the story
0: but, but the like once established that the husband's leading this secret gay life. The uh, the emotional story is more with her, even if it's passive. Exactly, because she's got to struggle with her feelings. She's got to
2: struggle with her feelings and, and an outlet for them, which she finds with unexpectedly with this the the character that Dennis Haysbert plays, the the gardener, the African American, which Gardner. is
0: loaded on a couple levels. Totally. <laughs> totally. So you have sort of a <laughs>
2: race it? and gender
0: and sexuality and the, in this little crazy knot, and to frame it in an, an homage, almost like. Perfectly to Douglas Sirk. Was, yeah. What what was it about those films that 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 compelled you to use that as a, f- a framework as a context? I
2: saw you know I was in I first encountered Cirque in college. Yeah. And they're the most fascinating films. I mean, they're not easy films. I think pe- a lot of people encounter them first on late night TV, watching Written on the Wind, or right. And uh, your first reaction is like, look at that color. Yeah. yeah. Look at that color and you know how sexist. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh and then there's something about those movies that feel like they cut through to some level of truth almost more powerfully than if they were done in a kind of documentary style that's something about the artificial worlds that that they inhabit you know and these and these impossible interiors that mm-hmm. seem to be crowding in on the characters in the movies they're like little dolls in doll houses that are where the walls are slowly crushing these people dolls come up in this film dolls come up in this film dolls have been sort of trailing me from the dolls. beginning dolls what is it about dolls i don't know what, uh, what did you study in college i studied film but i studied art but when i went to brown right yeah and when i went to brown there was this new program within the english department called Semiotics. You know, it was like the post-Freudian,
0: post-feminist, post-structuralist. Sure, you know. there was a couple of guys I knew who were studying uh, film at BU, and i and I felt uh, fascinated with it, but I couldn't wrap my brain around it. Right. So I mean, you were basic, in it. I was
2: in it, and I didn't know what it was either. Did I just, anybody? I just knew. Well, yeah. I think I think I started to understand exactly what it was about when I went to one of my first semiotics courses. And it was about sound theory in movies. And they mm. were talking about the classic Hollywood text. And they said, and this film ends with the obligatory heterosexual closure. And I went, <laughs> whoa.
0: And you, you, were, you were out and gay and, and Well, okay. I was out
2: and gay, but I was like, you just said the unsayable. Uh-huh. You just said the thing that we're all supposed to think is natural Is unspoken, Uh is expected in movies, in in resolutions of movies and stories, and you just outed it, Uh right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, I get what this is. It's talking about the language of our society that we don't notice as constructed, as intentional. And confining. And confining. And putting everybody in their places, even when they don't even know it. Even when we all
0: salute it, sure, it's the it's the the big ever uh, pervasive cock of patriarchy. Totally.
2: <laughs> and, well, that's exactly it. Yeah. That was a that yeah. was a big word. Yeah, patriarchy too. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But uh, no, it was th- that to me was like you know I know I get this, and but I didn't really know what it was like a parallel language to things i think i was already starting to feel and think and
0: but that was, but that's sort of like uh, you know so that was almost like the, uh, the 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 hermeneutics of american cinema yes so so okay and all cultural
2: production it was sort of saying like look there are all of these languages that keep people in place that that conform us to a sort of set of terms it's why i think the whole idea of identity as something that is somewhat of a straitjacket that most of us like to think of as something natural and innate that we just find and right. go, yeah, that's who I am,
0: without realizing it's a mind fuck.
2: It's a mind fuck, and it keeps you straightjacketed in well, yeah, something but,
0: or other. But but like you know some of us uh, might not have the uh, the courage in a way to to sort of start. Yes, most people are constructing their sense of self. Sure. I mean, if they exactly were, if, totally. if they were if they were lucky, they were they were properly parented on some level right. and given the freedom to do that with a certain amount of autonomy, autonomy, but with some parental guidance, right. that that enabled a safe place for them to do that. But most people come from chaos and bullshit, right. so the the struggle for self becomes uh, a struggle for stability right. or some sense of so normalcy, If you start to fuck with, the idea of identity being uh, a construct, right. you, know, you can have a lot of people losing their mind every day. Except that- I mean, what, Except in movies. Except <laughs> in movies, but except, or
2: like, let's talk, you know, like in glam rock, mm-hmm. like all of a sudden, these teenage kids who are in a state of constant instability, uncertainty, have this image of a bisexual space alien up on stage. Bowie. Prancing around, Bowie. Right. Or Iggy Pop, sure, who was also dealing with gender, a little lower than space, a little lower than space, <laughs> way down at the bottom, but playing <laughs> yeah. with notions of mascul- of mass, of masochism, sadism,
0: without knowing it. I think on Iggy's part, I think you captured sure. that in Velvet Goldmine, yeah. like you know, the Bowie character was so aware of the yeah. of the drama and the theatrics, and, right. and like you know, Iggy is just like <laughs> is he like grunting animal, you know, he was.
2: But they knew that they were challenging the kind of dictum of the sixties. You know what I mean? The Velvet Underground and the Stooges yeah. and even The Doors. Mm-hmm. There was something they were attacking about a kind of holistic idea of peace and love that they wanted to kind of undermine. Yeah, the the, the
0: idea of sex and love was, uh, was again contextual and, and limited and started to feel oppressive right And started to feel
2: like you know my brother's back at home with his Beatles and his stones and that's it and and that's and but I, but you know but all the young dudes right. are doing something else sure
0: Martha and so Hoopal, it felt like Mark a new Bolin. exactly right like a new era so when you were sitting in that semiotics class party you realizing you hear this they're saying the unspoken and you're like well i'm gonna just break that up like I'm good. That's my challenge. Yeah, or at least like you know the thing is, is that
2: what what I dig is that those codes of expectation, where we expect a movie to to resolve a certain way, those aren't things to just throw away. They're things to actually use. You know, right? Like a spectator is a participant, and they have expectations, and they want to enter a story, and they want it to move a certain way, and they want it to move back another way. Yeah, and they're anticipating how it moves. Like that's a powerful thing. So, it's cool to like use. I think it's exciting to see the powers of the imagination of the spectator and stoke them along, but then put up little boundaries or little obstacles. Well,
0: that's sort of like it. So, that that's sort of a French new wave trick in a way. That, you know, to sort of like, you know, kind of kick them in the head and make them realize that they're watching a movie. Yeah. And that, you but know. But still
2: provide pleasure sure, sure. and desire right. and
0: excitement, you know, and still
2: use the fact that they're investing themselves in it. But
0: your last two big movies. Far from heaven and and Carol, well, I'm not there well is in the middle, but these two movies are, are 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 standard structure, right, really I mean,
2: I think you know it's like i I think there was a place where the idea that you know a schoolgirl could get a crush on her teacher okay was not so it was side of our yeah, yeah, you know, I think what what's interesting is we always think, oh, things were way more repressive in the past, and we we've just moved forward you know, as a culture and everything's more permissive
0: today. But you forget that there were humans. There were humans and
2: there were all (laughs) kinds of weird accidental, you know, little places of a potential space or little accidents. And glam rock is a big accident. That was one reason why I wanted to explore it. But like when you see Carol take Therese out to lunch or the the two women check into a motel together in 1953, you realize, Oh wow. If they were a heterosexual unmarried couple, it would be scandalous but an older woman and a younger woman talking no into them, eh? no problem. You know? Right. So there are these little places of, of movement. This novel has been distinguished by a lot of lesbian fiction that preceded it for having a non-punishing ending
0: where mm-hmm. the
2: lesbians didn't end up in this one of them in a sanitarium or the other <laughs> off a, off. the edge. Is that, edge what, is that fl- why you
0: like the project?
2: No, I didn't really know much about the novel before I came to it. It and, came to me kind of, I didn't know about, the Price of Salt and its sort of legacy. Uh-huh. Um, my lesbian friends were quick to remind me how, how um, uninformed I was. But... And,
0: and did, I, were they quick to remind you during the process of like, don't fuck this up, dude. <laughs> don't fuck this up, dude.
2: You're the mascot. <laughs> but um, but, uh, yeah. but no, I, I wasn't interested in making a Things Are So Much Better Now movie or a... Um, I really loved how much it reminded me of being in the dark... Falling in love with somebody for the first time, Mm -hmm. being
0: young, stuff at a movie theater or just in no life
2: life, when I was a kid, you know, when I was
0: when it consumes you, when it consumes you, and
2: you are like absolutely sort of shut out of the world, and you are reading every sign that they offer you, every signal, and it all your fate rests in. What did that gesture mean? What did right. that word mean? Right. What did right. that
0: look mean? Where's it, it going? Do they
2: like me? You know, yeah. well, and, and how, in a, way, in a way, how pathological that is. Or how, you know, like what I love about Patricia Highsmith's, what she does in the novel is that all her other novels are about the criminal mind. Uh-huh. And you're locked inside that festering mental state. And this is about the amorous mind. But it's a similarly
0: festering state for both know? of them,
2: for for both of them, but particularly the one who's in the more powerless position.
0: And and I, I was like, so as you look at that script and as you visualize it as a film, obviously, you know, from looking at it, you're, you you said to yourself, somehow we have to capture this time uh, perfectly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yes. And and in a really different way than Far From Heaven, which was really all filtered through that kind of. Highly artificial and specific language that comes out of. We
0: used that old Technicolor, didn't you?
2: Well, we didn't. We that was the one thing we wished we could have done. Have a real Technicolor. But you felt like you
0: saturated pretty
2: good. We did it all non digitally. Uh It was all done on film, and we didn't. We didn't even finish it on a DI the way people do now, Uh a digital intermediate. There was no. We did all like uh, non digital. Color timing and stuff like that. Optical
0: and because you needed, you wanted to have your hands on the cellular. and you still could then. Yeah, and there were people who could do all the work. optically and do you think it made a difference?
2: I think it did. I mean, it really did. And I I
0: learned so much about the process and by doing it that way. makes a difference in your choices, because you know you don't have a million takes. No, exactly. Yeah, you know, you get well
2: every all the choices are curtailed by in a period Uh are informed by the. By the period, by the details, by what you see in the frame, because you only have so much money and you
0: got to be able to afford it.
2: Right. You know, well, and that tr- was true for Carol as well. What
0: struck me about Carol, though, is it, it would have been fine in black and white. Yeah. That, you know, that- it would have made sense. In black and white, it, as but well. you know, you, you 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 were so tight with the uh, with the period, and also with that the sort of muted colors. Yes, that y- you know, outside of like the drive, well, I think you would have lost a lot in black and white. But but it felt like a period film. Well, sort of desaturated, like the color photography process that uh-huh. we were looking at from the early fifties. And now, was that just impulsive, or did you see with your semiotic brain that that had <laughs> meaning when we when we opened the film on a on a subway grate? Did you did you know did you have a plan for that or was that just impulsive Well
2: subways and trains were sort of a theme in yeah. the film the yeah. little the yeah, little the toy, toy train ride. that Rooney And that is, was in the script that was in the book and the script It's described very intense intensely in the book from the very beginning, you know, from the source material. Does it
0: have thematic meaning to you? Well,
2: what's interesting is it's not just an example of Therese not following the sort of conventional right. choices of wanting to, loving dolls, and she likes boy toys She works more. at a department store. She works at a department the store. The doll department. And she offers Carol that maybe your, your kid would like a toy train It's of daughter. a doll, your yeah. daughter. Um, but the train is described by highsmith as a kind of um almost having a madness of captivity like uh-huh. it's like spinning around on its tracks uh-huh. and it's maybe going to fall off
0: and then so okay so there you have the great beneath it the madness of captivity and
2: that therese is sort of in a state of potential captivity in this job at this almost paralysis store and paralysis and there's a character that that is in the Figures in the novel that we actually did shoot in the story and we ended up cutting out to, uh-huh. to trim it down. Ruby Robachek, who's a sort of career shopwoman, who Therese sort of sees as a potential future for where she, a, you know, scary idea of where she might end up. The,
0: well, you kind of got that feeling with the overbearing manager. The manager. That, yeah. that, that, that read yeah. as like, well, that's where you end up. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, what it, 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 thematically, what, what do you feel? as a poet who makes movies was the, the 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 kind of message of this movie
2: the message of the movie i don't know if i have a single message i think i wanted to explore the love story and i think i never really i felt like i would never really done that Powerful. per se in a in a you in know a right. before
0: so that's what it was
2: and so it made me look at love stories and made me look at how point of view functions so interestingly in love stories where you're on the side of the weaker party Uh and you know like in in war it's the object that gets conquered and in love it's the subject that gets conquered so we're on the side of the vulnerable
0: it kind of and and there it it kind of it rocked a little bit there was there was and that changes in the
2: course of the movie it's it starts where therese is that person Uh and by the end and a lot of it, all the shots through windows right. and, you know, through glass and reflections and all that stuff sort of makes you aware, or I hoped it would, of who's looking at who, uh-huh. who's on this side of the lens and who's on that side. Yeah. And Therese is an you know, aspiring photojournalist herself and is learning how to frame the world. Uh-huh. And her first subject becomes Carol. But by toward the end of the movie, when things change... It's Carol who's in the cab, seeing Therese cross the street, assuming right, her role right. in the yeah, world, yeah. kind of looking more like Carol than she ever has.
0: Yeah, it was a beautiful movie, and I, there was one there was one scene there where they're in the car, and you're shooting outside of Therese's window, and um, and she takes a hit off her cigarette. It's a sort of tense scene, and she coughs. And, oh, I, yeah, and yeah. I thought to myself, like, he, he must have been like, we got to use the cough <laughs> one, because that was a real cough.
2: <laughs> it's like we had two takes. Oh, that was it? Something like that. All right. I mean, it was a tight,
0: it was a tight one. Doesn't look like a tight one. All right, now let's move back to uh, to the Dylan movie. And, and you know, you have some explaining to do. Because, <laughs> <I, laughs> like, I, I saw the conceit. It seemed very high-minded. It seemed very art film to me that you're going to have a movie about Dylan that he signed off on, which of course he would. Uh, I I can't, like, I've met Jeff Rosen once, and I imagine, like, he took this, like, no, Bob's going to love this. Right. Right? Did he? Is that what happened? Pretty much. Yeah. Because this is something
2: Allen Ginsberg once said about Dylan, that he's like a collection of um, archetypes.
0: Is that, so that was... Like a
2: cluster of archetypes. That was what Jeff said when he heard my comment, when
0: he heard my concept. Was that your concept? Not based on that. No. no, but like, what was your concept Oh, uh, my concept was in? just
2: simply like, you know, I got back into Dylan at this sort of, you know, in the end of the 90s.
0: Right, well, we missed the beginning, really, uh, the 60s, right? Oh, yeah. you're, so like I mean, I you... was into
2: him in high school. Right. And he was a driving voice and kind of energy in my high school years, but I sort of lost, I wasn't paying as much attention to his music during the 80s. And just for some reason just felt this need for Dylan in my life. I think yeah, it was a sort it. of a symptomatic thing.
0: Visions of Joanna Loom's large. Oh God. You know, like you always—that's know, how he, for for guys our age, you're always going back to Dylan, yeah. and it, you can go back to whatever period you exactly. want, exactly. But like in my mind, it's like all the answers are envisions of Joanne. It's all envisions of Joanne. It's
2: all but... in that record. Yeah, no, I, I mean really, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. that, and I have you know, I have you know, amazing cuts from from so many periods of his life oh, in the, the
0: film. You know, the soundtrack got that, to use that fucking movie crazy. is a masterpiece. Yeah. You got all those people to fucking to do, do
2: covers, and then we got all the Dylan stuff, and we got some really rare and unreleased stuff, like the song "I'm Not There." That so comes from uh, the oh, that's a good tapes. song, and didn't really do, amazing who, didn't didn't uh, who Sonic Youth, Youth did cover? Oh, that's really cool, a really cool, really cool version.
0: So okay, so the plan. So, was- So
2: I just started to read biographies about Dylan for the first time when I was getting back into the music. And it was around the time the bootleg series stuff was just starting to get right. released. And that stuff kind of blew my mind. Yeah. I hadn't heard a lot of that material. And it took me back to periods I loved. But all the biographies <clears throat> described the same unbelievable shape-shifting guy during the 60s, where literally you'd meet him in you know April of 64. Right. And he'd be channeling, well, it would be earlier when, if it was Woody Guthrie, right. But, you know, and he would be talking like Gut- Woody Guthrie and dressed like Woody Guthrie. And, and singing rambling and Jack rambling. Elliott. Yeah, and rambling yeah, Jack yeah, Elliott yeah, yeah. and completely, you know, channeling that tradition. Sure. And encompassing it and creating so much work. And then people would meet him literally three, four months later, and he'd be a different guy. He'd look different. He'd speak different. He was doing different music. He'd rejected everything he'd done before. And this would keep defining all of those remarkable outputs of right. music throughout yeah. the sixties. Yeah. And culminating in really well known moments, you know, sort of like explosions when yeah, he Newport plugs in a yeah, yeah, Sure. Or when he finds Jesus yeah. in, in the seventies. Um and not bad records. Oh, amazing records. Mm-hmm. I mean Slow Train Coming is Great. a fucking beautiful, perfect yeah. record. Yeah. Incredible. Beautiful production, beautiful love songs, really. Yeah. Gorgeous love songs. But um, so I just thought, wow, the only way to really describe this guy is in multiple, you know, is mm-hmm. to show literally the fact. And because each time a new guy would come into being, there would need to sort of be an assassination of the last one. Uh-huh. There was a way in which just to keep creating and yeah. keeping a little space where he could keep making stuff, which I think is sort of how he survives. Um, he has to sort of do away with the expectations, the burdens, the pressures of what he did before, which had been so influential, right, and attracted such a following each time. Yeah. So I think it was a, you know, it was basically a, a practice for survival, right, uh, for an c- intensely creative individual. But it also meant that each of the, the you could demarcate these different people in these different moments. And the '60s were so combustive and so. So constant and Blanchett was the '60s. Blanchett was this. Blanchett was '66, right? You know, Blanchett was Jude. Blanchett was the Electric Dylan.
0: And who was right before? Ben Wishaw uh-huh. was sort of the poet, right? Right. And
2: kind of Art rambeau inspired Dylan, who was sort of being interviewed, the but all of the inspired Dylan. Yeah, exactly. When yeah. he was starting to, mm-hmm. when he had fully given up the sort of folk, you know. And,
0: um and Ginsburg took hold of his brain.
2: Yeah, exactly. Who'd you, oh he had but David he was Cross also starting Ginsburg, to speak
0: in code David Cross. You did, right. He had Dave played against yeah, That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he
2: did a pretty amazing job. Yeah, yeah. So great. Um, but yeah, he was starting to speak his interviews from that time were so remarkable and they were like extensions of the lyrics that were starting to depart from a sort of uh you know, socially conscious Applicable, right? You know, um, populism. Yeah, yeah. The exactly. people's music. Exactly. He
0: was. He's out there to disappoint Pete Seeger. Totally. <laughs> totally. He break the rules.
2: And you know, when he was in his high folk
0: moment, he had
2: the answers. Just like when he was in his Christian moment, he had the answers. And when he was, when he rejected that, he said there are no answers. Oh yeah. And that screwed with people's minds and expectations. So, uh, so that was the s- spirit of it, but. You know, but I also wanted it to be. F- I did want it to be fun.
0: I don't know if it was so fun for you. No, it was fun, but like there was like you know, it became like. Um, what can I compare it to? That you know when, when you you're a great filmmaker and you you're an auteur and you're a visionary filmmaker, and when you when you have uh, when you trust somebody to be a, a great artist, you have to reckon with what they're doing. Right. So if it's not sitting with you, right. you know, usually it's on me. So like I gotta decode what what the intention is here. It's like watching uh, the the David O. Russell I Heart Huckabees. Like right. you know what is that? Right. It's a farce. It's difficult. Yeah. It's yeah. bizarre. It's like an Ionesco play.
2: Yeah. So but you kind of can't look away.
0: Right. You're, you're yeah. compelled. Yeah. And I felt that, but like there were so many different styles that you were moving through right. because of the timeline you were right. doing it. Right. So I I didn't like the movie. Right. I just like there was a couple of questions like why Richard Gere at some right. point you know right. like and and. Right. And there was part of me that thought, like, I like this Wild West Town thing, you know, with these hippies around. Why can't we have a little more of that? So there was part right. of me that was like, yeah, that seems like a cool place to hang out. Yeah. And you kept moving. And yeah. I don't know. It's almost I'd- like it should have been
2: a, a HBO miniseries with many parts or something like that. But,
0: but you couldn't have visualized it like that, right? I mean, I, I mean that, that movie is a movie to you.
2: No, it really is a movie to me. And it needed to intercut. I mean, yeah. you know, Harvey Weinstein didn't care for the Western part either. <laughs> I liked it. I, I dug it too, and I thought it was a necessary outgrowth. That was the Rolling um, Thunder part, right? It was the Rolling Thunder part, and it was the Woodstock. Yeah. It was like, get me out of this urban crazy life that really is only leading to disaster. Uh-huh. You know, It was going lead to lead to a critical mass that was not going to be a healthy one for Dylan. And then the motorcycle crash was sort of the right. symbolic-
1: so, you know, you, you order.
0: As an artist who made a decision to make this film from your own fucking mind and heart, was, you know, reckoning with these closures that Dylan, with these obstacles and, and departures from self. So, this is an identity yeah, thing exactly. again. Exactly.
2: It really was. It was a multiplying of identity and a refusal of fixed identity. With the artist who received probably more pressure to keep fulfilling expectations and from the record business from the record business from the audiences yeah. from an entire culture that he was inspiring you know and that obviously was inspiring him as
0: well and you love him for that of course god,
2: god. did it's you ever meet so him i never met him
0: you have no idea what he thought of the film i he he finally talked about the movie
2: in the in a rolling stone interview that came out after a good year after the film came out and he praised the film and he dug of course he dug kate he was sort of blown away by Kate. He was like, I should have put Kate in Mastin Anonymous. What the hell was I doing in that movie? Uh, but there was a moment, I have to say, with Jeff Rosen, who really was our liaison through the whole process. That's he's, Dylan's he's personal assistant. Manager, his guy. yeah, His guy. Yeah. And the the keeper of the gate, the yeah. guard of the gate of the Dylan uh, world. He's still
0: got an office in New York over
2: by uh, yeah. uh, like Irving Plaza. Yeah, with all the stuff. Exactly. Yeah, all yeah. The cram- as far as I know. But there was a point where we had to extend the rights and I was doing more work on the script and doing more research and I was like talking to Jeff about it. And I said, Jeff, you know, I feel a burden, man. You're giving me the rights to Dylan's life and music for the first time ever to make into a film. I know he loves movies. Yeah. And I feel I have a responsibility to get it right. And he said, and this is Dylan's manager. This is Dylan's gatekeeper talking. And he said, Todd, don't worry about that shit. You just have to make your own weird Story yeah. And your own interpretation of what this is about. That's what you're doing. And- I'm like, Jesus, what? Who gets to do this? You know? <laughs> I mean, I felt really- It was almost like the the freedom of artistic integrity that Dylan demands. Uh-huh. I was being handed.
0: Well, he'd made a couple of forays into weirdo he had, movies.
2: He absolutely had. Ronaldo and Clara. Right. And what was the uh, Eat the document, which is a fantastic film, which Dylan edited the first half hour of. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's the color companion piece to Don't Look Back that that Scorsese used a lot of footage from in, in the No Do- Direction Home. Yeah, yeah. And but it's all that color stuff from from the Electric Gear. Yeah, yeah. And Dylan cut it together in this crazy experimental documentary, and Robbie Robertson I think finished the cut, uh-huh. and so Dylan's never been felt completely.
0: And he was that's also that's acted. Um, he was in. Uh, he played Alias and Peckinpah's. And uh, yeah, Bonnie uh, uh, Billy the Kid, B- Peck, Pac- and, and Billy the Kid, and, 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 and that was a reference to the Western. It, part. Right. it's why it's Bill- It's why it's Bill- It's
2: why it's uh, Billy the Kid, and it's the tone, the the, the 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 color. Yeah, was like exactly. Paw. It's like those hippie westerns yeah. from the late sixties. I love those. You know, Butch Cassidy
0: and oh uh, god, how great is that movie? When was the last time you watched that? Oh, it's so well done. It's so beautifully shot. I just love that the pairing of those guys i know it, right oh my god you wanted know. him to win <laughs> <laughs> but it had the tragic ending which was also
2: so romantic it was, in the, way I re- it the, was. Freeze, the freeze frame the freeze frame the slow zoom out and it's just the hearing the 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 spanish fire firing yeah. and then the slow score i think fades up or something uh. really awesome
0: do you are you a big Fox fan yeah some of that shit's great incredible man. Uh, straw dogs but, but Altman and the wild bunch yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. those two guys all those too. two guys like that movie like that's a, it's similar in a weird way to you know the freedom that you found in um in safe like you know mccabe and mrs miller is a difficult movie yep. and, it and has a
2: pace unto itself it has
0: a pace unto itself and you're not really sure what it's about yeah it, it, it really turns out it's about uh you know the the it's about corporate takeover it is
2: exactly It is. And it's about the building of a town and the compromises that that brings upon the freedoms of of this new frontier. And and, and you
0: get this weird, almost comic character just befuddled... Completely. Under the
2: thumb of the Julie Christie character. Uh
0: But even the way the camera
2: is always searching through those long shots, Uh those long, long lens shots... Really long. ...where it's really blurry and everything's compressed and the camera's sort of locating the subject uh-huh. through the haze you know of whatever it is and if it and it's, you feel like the movie's doing that
0: you know and if it's inside there's just chatter there's just like yeah. chatter everywhere all, all of the classic and...
2: multiple altman dialogues going on at the same time
0: what's you what like uh do you have a, a favorite director that moved you the the most oh
2: god it's really hard there's no one director um you know i mean i it's I, a bad question It's a hard one. I mean, you know, it's a, and it always, you can answer it with some generalities, but like,
0: I go back to Hitchcock. Really, I just he just blows me away. See, that's so wild because, like, I know that's true, and I know that he has. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, I don't have patience for thrillers, and I know that he was so on top of it and the control that he executed, and yeah. and, and the ability to to really be aware at all levels of of, of story and cutting and sound and, and all that. And yeah. like, but I have a hard time sitting through this movie. You know what they do though <laughs> they they implicate you in
2: in the guilt of the subject so you are all it's always about the innocent guy who, who somehow just manages to become uh, a suspect right and who stumbles into a crime right unwittingly right and that is so amazing to me because that just puts a sense of imminent guilt and in the hands
0: of every viewer and it's psychologically menacing
2: completely but we're all susceptible to that because we
0: all feel guilty. So we all r-
2: feel ah.
0: like, you know, criminals. Huh. I never thought about that. Or a step
2: away from that, and, and so then,
0: that's where you you're you're hooked, right? So that's like because I don't get hick- hooked on it. It's like I I have an aversion to existential terror. <laughs> Maybe okay. it touches a chord. Of course it does. Isn't it what we're all trying to get it's away from? I don't want to immerse but it's myself what,
2: in it. It's what makes the wrong man
0: so amazing
2: because yeah. he is innocent, but, yeah. but he goes through the system and he never comes out the same. It completely destroys his marriage and his wife. It's what makes like- you North know, strangers by Northwest. On a, north by Northwest, which is a lighter, more sort of sure. fun- yeah. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Strangers buoyant. on a Train. Strangers on a Train. Where just two guys, and it has this strange, sort of weirdly homo, you know, yeah. homosexual subtext. Yeah, two guys knocking feet on a train, uh-huh. and the Bruno character implicates the guy Haynes character right, just right. simply by the accident of running into him, you know. Right. And he's immediately susceptible. Now all of a sudden, he has his hands are guilty. His hands yeah. have the fin- you know, have the right. ink of fingerprints on them. And, uh, so you
0: like that that sort of narrative tension at every turn.
2: Well, I just love that he can operate. You know, um, in a in a uh, sort of in a popular way, uh-huh. and in the most um, you know um, uh, socially critical way at the same time,
0: and also like meticulous filmmaker like Absolutely. so in of control. Of course he of it.
2: invented the the language of the kind of movies he made really. Yeah. You know. Uh-huh. But they're corrupting. They 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 are corrupting and popular at the same time and I just find that to be so subversive. Genius. Subversive is the word I'm looking
0: for. Uh-huh. Yeah. And totally. yeah. All right. So now let's uh, let's let's deal with safe. Let's deal with it, man. We got to deal with it. Let's tackle Todd. this. Thing. We got to yeah. All right. Cuz be- it's hung with me. So you have this Julianne Moore character who is a a suburban housewife in you know in sort of upper middle class trappings of that time 1995 in my recollection yep and she's just feeling ill all the time yeah and and then like i remember the allergy test right right yeah and then and 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 she's
2: just she's she's diagnosed with environmental illness and yet is that something
0: you made up no no god no
2: no it's a real thing. I heard about it on the radio one day. I was like, housewives are becoming ill with something called 20th century disease or environmental illness. It's Ill- a- it's it's the illness people get who become susceptible to chemicals in common house products, common household products, all uh-huh. the chemicals that we use in our, you know, outgassing carpets and you know, obviously that was such an open metaphor
0: for the way we live. Right It was almost like it just reminded me immediately of of the the sort of uh in the twenties and thirties where women were being diagnosed with certain types of psychological sure. illnesses hysteria, because, hysteria yeah, right
2: yeah in the in the, the i mean it's what freud Freud's whole career began with studying this whole idea of of hysterical female subjects charcot in in France and all those guys. But so there's a long history with women not fitting into social settings or, or having sort of unconscious rebellions, right. physical, right. physiological, dramatic so rebellions. That against was in their, you when you were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how we attribute that to something uniquely female, uh-huh. you know, and how, um, yeah, I just, I just thought that was too, but this was still, this was still the AIDS era. And I really was thinking a lot about, like a lot of us were, how people make sense of illness, how people sort of theorize illness. And you were in it. You, in you were t- losing friends. And- losing friends left and right. And, and seeing how patients suffering of, from HIV were drawn to these kind of new age answers. Well, they had no answers. They had no answers. So they, it gave them some sense that they could control an uncontrollable situation. And I just found it so interesting that people, and there was a quote from a cancer patient, I remember stumbling across it said, we humans would rather accept culpability than chaos. And I thought that's so true, that we'd rather blame ourselves, it's almost like little kids. This was about cancer patients? Yeah, it was about cancer patients, but it was about the whole idea of having no cure Uh for your illness and going, yes, I made myself sick. Yes, I didn't love myself enough. Yes. It's like the little kid whose parents are divorcing, yeah. and they say, Mommy, is it because of me? Mm. And the parent's like, No, what are you talking about? Of course right. not. Right. It's something between your father and I, well, that Well,
0: that's because you know uh, kids have to think their parents are perfect. So, sure. So when something goes wrong, how, there's no one else to really blame. You have to blame
2: yourself. Right. But how easy how often we do turn to ourselves. Sure. Well, th- and blame ourselves. And, and and in a weird way, that's sort of the free market sensibility. It's like the individual is responsible for their conditions. Uh-huh. It makes the in, it makes conservatives feel like they're in control, but uh-huh. there's something blameful about it. Sure. And it doesn't look at social systems as culprits or
0: democracy or
2: democracy
0: or as a solution or, or <laughs> capitalism or whatever <laughs> right
2: it doesn't look at a social problem it's all on the individual well buck that, up right be self-reliant
0: right take responsibility for yeah, your illness gonna, you made yourself right. sick we're going to destroy this place yeah and uh, in the name of money exactly so you're just going to have to you know and and if you and if you
2: basically if you're poor you chose to be poor yeah. if you're sick you made yourself sick it's it's a weird and, and it's just so funny how often we accept that uh-huh. and accept those terms. I don't What's know. There's it? something about it that feels consistent, but I just but I put it in just in the context of the story about somebody getting sick with a, a mysterious wife. illness, a housewife who really doesn't have resources, you, you know, persona- a strong sense of self or character to question. Yeah, the passive, world around her
0: sort of middle class completely
2: a complete product uh-huh. of her own environment and then she becomes the victim of that and of her
0: own manuf- the 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 expectations that were manufactured for her exactly yeah wow because like it's like to me like uh, you know when you get to a certain point or, or a certain age and you start to realize like you know there aren't answers and right. doctors don't know. fucking know i know and, and there, th- there, there's part of me that thinks like how complicated can the body be we go to space i know why can't you fucking figure it out
2: i know but and how much we all love to say oh it all happened for a reason you know everything happens for a reason nope
0: actually most things probably happen for no good reason fucking random yeah who the hell knows you know plagues happen you can track things right yeah obviously environmentally there are issues right but exactly. I mean, but but sometimes like shit happens and a lot of people die and it's horrible right. and you do. But the fact was that there was the I think also the issue of of and I think you found it in her character more specifically uh, in a way that that a, a more a broader public could understand that that they were hung out to dry. Women were were they they, they weren't a, the the gay population was not important right of course enough no no no. And Talk women about have never been important. Black
2: enough. Lives Matter. We were dealing at a time where it was it was gay and lesbian lives, and, and African American lives, and drug addict, drug yeah, users' dr- lives yeah, sure. who were dispensable, sure. in the society.
0: Yeah, and, and I you mean, saw
2: the the you know the machinery and the political culture mm-hmm. sort and and the mainstream culture sort of you know uh, pull away.
0: So that was the the sort of. The the turn was that community. Like I just remember the movie. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but the guru's house. Like, oh it was yeah, like right up on a hill. It was one of
2: the indicators you remember so well. It's amazing. That was one of the indicators that wait a minute maybe this guy isn't all right. Good, isn't right? All trustworthy. It's a racket. It. There's a racket here, and you're and someone's falling for it. But then Julianne at the very end of the movie, she follows the mantra and she looks in the mirror. And she says, I love you. In her fucking hut. I really hut. love you. In her hut, in her sealed off safe house. And then you go and in and- And she's he... got a big kind of blemish on her head that keeps festering. <laughs> so she, something's not right here. And yet what's, what I was also doing at the same time was like disease movies of the week, yeah. which sort of give the subject, they don't, always, they don't always solve their cancer in those movies. Right. But there's some way in which they take possession of being a cancer patient and learning about what that means. You know what I mean? Right, right. And so this film sort of follows that narrative uh, shape. Yeah. And she accepts the terms of what that illness means and what it asks of you. But what I hope is that you also are left, it's sort of like a Serkian happy ending where you're left with all of, after it's completely criticized the whole culture that you look at and then the people have a happy ending and you know, wait, you're like, wait a minute. Something's not right here.
0: Is it really happy though? Given it's
2: not happy, the, the, and
0: the circumstance,
2: everything that's been revealed along the way shows right. us that it's anything but.
0: All right, so let's go back to we're almost we're almost all the way back to birth. So <laughs> so poison. I remember like it was one of those movies for me because I was like uh, you know I was living in San Francisco. I was a little um, uh, you know uh, kind of I was I uh, ninety five. I was trying the to ninety one. Right, ninety one. No, right. So yeah. I'm trying to stay sober. You know, uh, know, I've been through a lot. You know, my sense of self is is fairly expansive and, you know, I'm open-minded in a way that I had no real choice over. And, and, you know, uh, and I'm wandering around San Francisco, which in and of itself is this, I don't know what the fuck is going on there. Yeah, I don't know, you know, who's in charge? You yeah, know, so like I it, it always felt ungrounded to me. Yeah, and I go see this movie that you know that you know I'm I'm not gay, but I'm at the theater. I'm at the gay film festival, and this is a movie that had, you know, themes in it that were relevant to that community, right? And, and metaphoric, right? Uh, filmically. And uh, did you know
2: it had stirred up the far right? Had you heard that whole thing about I, I don't, it, the I,
0: flap about the the sort of culture wars? I, well, I don't know, but I knew there was three movies within it, right? And that, in in not unlike the Dylan movie or Safe for that matter, that I had to reckon with what what it was you were trying to do, right? And and the three movies that, I remember the horror movie. Right. And then what were the other two?
2: One was a sort of uh sort of a pseudo documentary about a suburban story of a little boy who had flown away. And the mother is re- is is uh recounting the whole story. Uh-huh. And there was something a little off about this kid. Uh basically all three stories are about outsiders, about transgressors and sort of followed these genres that usually address the outsider you know oh, in the so horror he, film as the monster in the sort of tabloid documentary as a sort of uh, you know uh, outlier to suburban normalcy or something so
0: this is the one so what and the was, third
2: was much more directly a jean Genet kind of prison love story
0: now, what was it about Janae? Because, like, you, <laughs> you know, know, it's your normal run of the mill sure. kind of <laughs> trilogy. A trilogy, tri- uh, a, 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 you know. Tri- yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> but these were not conceived as shorts. This was conceived
2: as a. film. It was conceived as a feature for the three stories to interact. I mean, when I, well, the thing is, is that when I had done Superstar, that the, the Karen Carpenter the Barbie doll, the Barbie doll Karen Carpenter story. I mean, that was uh, that was sort of the beginning of my independent voice as a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and it kind of fell into a cultural awareness it was written about in the Village Voice by Jay Hoberman and Barbara Kruger well, it was a Art fascinating Bar. film
0: because you did a full narrative about a biopic of Karen Carpenter using only Barbie dolls and using the real music right. and, and and sort of like you know uh, somehow finding the, the mise-en-scene within these these, these puppet shows that were loaded with emotion. Right, that exactly. You, 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 at some point watching that film, within 10 minutes or so, it didn't matter that they were dolls.
2: Right, you forget that they're <laughs> dolls, and right. then you have to remember that you're watching dolls and what yeah. that means, and it's sort of like how you feel when you're listening to that music, right. which is incredibly manipulative and sentimental, and yet somehow it creeps up inside you yeah. and grabs you at the same time.
0: And you got to the heart of it, through her,
2: through her, and what I found, but and yet it still kind of had these little pseudo documentary passages and these sort of little experimental right. film
0: influenced
2: moments yeah, in it. Yeah, and I just found that because it had reached a slightly bigger visibility than I ever really with no anticipated, release. With no release, I mean, it did have little.
0: Little sprinklings of releases. But you here couldn't. And you there. I imagine the family was pissed off, and the, exactly and the there music. A, you had to have the music. I had in a there.
2: year of freedom with it before the legal stuff hit me.
0: And then you just had to get it on tape, like and I, had. I exactly.
2: And then yeah. it got up to be an underground bootleg movie.
0: Is it on YouTube? It must be.
2: It's on YouTube, and then they yank it, and then it comes back. It's sort of a back and forth. <laughs> But it's one of the Fuyu movies you can say are, are a band is yeah. a band film, sure. you know, cocksucker blues and, yeah, and maybe superstar. Yeah.
0: Um, so that was in that you, you there was a, a pressure on you to deliver. Or
2: the, or what I what I thought was cool is that audiences who I didn't think were maybe the audiences I had conceived of for the movie, well, uh-huh. a wider audience was seeing Superstar than I had expected. Yeah. And they could navigate between these different sort of tones, uh-huh. and they could enter the movie. And find interest in the film, and it just made me think like, wow, audiences are sophisticated, and they're and so I just wanted to kind of keep riffing on that idea and take that a little further. and And poison was really a, a sort of a film about the AIDS era, yeah, and a and a way of of sort of taking back some of the guilt and feeling of culpability that the the gay community was sort of accepting from dominant society, right? victimhood, yeah. And, and, I, and using Janae, who was like a, you know, a warrior, uh, you know, a poet warrior, basically.
0: Uh, I, I like I never got into to him. You know, I always knew of him, but I didn't read him. What was he was, he was a prisoner and a writer. He was and a,
2: a you know condemned thief, and he I think he ultimately after so many incarcerations had life imprisonment, and then wrote his first novel, Our Lady of the Flowers, while he right. was still in prison, and it it is a magnificent piece of writing and Uh a a crazy what he he sort of always said when he was like kind of named a thief and named a queer that he kind of took those titles on and decided to fulfill them (laughs) tenfold Uh and say fuck you you know what i mean and then sort of invert the values of society and make perversity and transgression something of a religious Expression right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And make that sacred. Yeah. And sort of invert the values of the society that had condemned him. So uh-huh. it was an amazing kind freedom of- Freedom in that. Yeah. And yeah. then he became a real- Once he was freed by all the yeah. collective poets of French society at the time, Cocteau and all yeah. those guys, he later became involved with the Black Panther movement, the Palestinian movement. I mean, he was a radical. Uh-huh. You know, he maintained a radical's position around political activity. And,
0: and you and, felt that drawing from the power of that in the midst of, of the AIDS epidemic, like 10 years in, that, uh, that you would deliver a message.
2: That there was a way to say, yeah. we can stand up right. and say, screw you. Right. And that our difference was really our power. You know what I mean, and, and and that's really changed the the sort of you know um, assimilation basically of any minority culture as it gets accepted into mainstream uh-huh. society. It loses some of those political
0: edges. But you know, but interesting. No matter how slow the pace of progress is, that the the gay community weathered that fucking storm and came well, out that, stronger. Well,
2: that is that's un. Deniable and, and and that you know and and now be stated yeah, strongly enough, right? I mean that's absolutely true. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I mean just all of us who were kind of formed by that political activism of that time and watched the radical changes and that and that political organizing produced direct results. Yeah, and it really did. It yeah. really changed the whole treatment and development of drugs and you know ch- turned that epidemic completely around. But then you know it's just ironic that then as gay lives became more accepted in mainstream society, the issues that were being fought over was gay marriage and gays in the sure. military. Right, right. Like the most conformist sort of sure. elements. Yeah, yeah. But they're symbolic and they're meaningful. And I get that.
0: There's a little bit of fuck you to it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I think that there is, that it, it's. It, I never really thought about it until right now that to have the, the right... Right. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean you want it, but you, right. you deserve it. Right.
2: Well, that is true. That's that's absolutely built in. I, I agree. I agree with that. But I think people then think that they're supposed to want it. Oh, yeah. Maybe there's that. Sure, That's sure. the confusion. It's sort of like everybody's like, oh, well, you now you're married, right? Right. You know? Right.
0: Well, you know, it's just to be treated like an of equal. Right? Course. And look, all
2: of these things for every kid who's coming out today. Uh-huh. This just creates an entirely different culture and world. It's still hard to come out. Right. It's still a transition for kids to kind of, and I think it maybe goes back to those issues we were talking about with the identity uh-huh. period, claiming uh-huh. identity, you know?
0: Well, you got to at some point, right? Or, or you else you, you end up sort of a, a lumpy and game swinger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, come on, bring it on. <laughs> yeah, I'm I guess open. I like that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but uh i mean it's a different world for those kids and well that's really essential i mean that's a that's an right contestable
0: well they have they have support they have support they have examples in the exactly. world yeah, and yeah. they have a place to well that's interesting because now here we are i'm 52 you're what
2: 54
0: so like i do feel that there might be along with these sort of uh nostalgic uh framings for films that you've done recently there's a, a nostalgia for that fuck you the, yeah. that fight. Yeah. Like, what What do we fight about? What are we fighting for now? Well- Creatively. What are you? Creatively. Sure. Like, what's the next film? I mean, you were doing- I mean, you know,
2: Fran Lebowitz said something in that Scorsese documentary he made about her uh-huh. that it, I think about. She said, we didn't just lose an entire generation of artists yeah. to AIDS. We lost audiences. We lost reception yeah. to a certain quality or caliber of work. Sure a kind of
0: demand, you know, kind of you know, intellectual and sure that of, whole part that whole New York in the 70s yeah, thing, right? Like yeah, that once that the 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 sort of media outlets broke open and the Consumer-minded culture, yeah. uh, one on, on the level of art in general, yeah. that you know, it just killed the intelligentsia. It really,
2: it really the, did. And
0: I don't know if it's just AIDS. I mean, I
2: think it maybe well, Reagan you, era. Well,
0: I think within theater and within art, because I, right. it seems to me that New York in that time in the late seventies, like, was the engine for all that sure. shit, and that lost definitely. a lot of people, definitely. Because it used to be sexy and cool, like you'd see. You know, people like Fran Lebowitz on Letterman. Yeah. That shit is over, dude. Yeah, no, I know. Who are those people now? No, Where are a, they? There was a blending yeah. of counterculture
2: and mainstream culture. And now it's sort of like, what is counterculture? Who
0: the fuck knows?
2: There's nothing outside dominant culture. Capitalism well, is what, one. Well, dominant culture is become- Capitalism is one out.
0: I of course, that, they have. I think that is the
2: undeniable truth. With
0: Apple and there's all no, of it, right? There's no context anymore. Right. So everything happens immediately at all times. Exactly. And and you know that you now have the the, the you know the, the whole compulsion is to create something viral enough to get people to it. Totally. And to attract
2: corporate branding, it's like that that front line called Generation Like about young people and digital well i'll know, tell you there's culture. a couple
0: there's a couple weird little bits of of hope you know you know the political dialogue i think is evolving a bit that you know the the what was once you know titled you know the uh the The right wing, if there was ever a majority, this is very much diminished in a way, in in real numbers. I think I think a lot of people are are, are not necessarily progressive, but they're accepting as members of this uh, of this country and this democracy that you know things can change and tolerance is necessary. I think that's going to win, but also that you know I recently read an article that people are buying books again, that the the Kindle thing, that reading right. On no, the tablet, I read that too. That that, that that's me, cool. It it is kind of right. Yes. That's what I love about, I have to say,
2: Portland, Oregon, go to Powell's bookstore on a Sunday afternoon, and it's a circus. Everybody's there, every age. Every family, every old person, every kid with a tattoo is that Powell's reading books, you know? There's a
0: there's a tactile experience and a connection to uh historical context. Yeah. So you Maybe know whether it's the,
2: a reaction against sure. all this. Right. You know? Well
0: well, you know, how can you not eventually you know I don't even know we don't even know what these phones are gonna do to do. our brains. Or what they do in general. I know. I know. Exactly. And I mean I know we sound like old men, but there is <laughs> there is there I think there's no mooring. To, to the narrative of history. And that, that right. to me is, is scary. It is because scary. Because w- w- what do you fall back on? Yeah. Well, I just think it it
2: separates us as human animals from each other. Yeah. Just the way we're we isolated. used to. We are
0: isolated. That, like that phone is your, it, that's your home. <laughs> it's you ever, your
2: screen. It's uh, your bubble. It's your, you know, it's well, your divider.
0: What, what are you thinking for the next film? You got something?
2: I have something. We're trying to get off the ground, which is uh, based on... Brian Selznick wrote Hugo Cabret, which Scorsese made into the movie Hugo. Yeah. And this is his uh, graphic novel that followed that. So it's another, it's a film basically carried by young people, for young people, which I've never done before, so that should be cool. Also a historical thing, kind of a love poem to New York City, the way Hugo was to Paris. Okay. So I'm excited. Wow, that's a departure. Yeah. You're just
0: spreading it out. I'm spreading it out. I'm I'm I'm, I'm
2: doing stuff more back to back
0: too which oh, is weird he you means you're working I guess so you're hireable I'm hireable
2: <laughs> there's money yeah. maybe somewhere well,
0: I, got, I loved Carol I love all thank your you
2: shit thank you so much It's a pleasure. a pleasure Mark I really appreciate it Yeah, it's awesome great talking to talk you. to you thanks thank you
0: what an exciting conversation that was for me I hope you uh, dug it that was Todd Haynes go see the movie Carol see any of his movies see if you can get hold of the Superstar the Karen Carpenter story. It's got to be around. It's got to be out there. It's got to be on the computer, right? You can get it on the computer. Also, WTFPod.com, you can get on the mailing list. You can buy some posters. You can get some JustCoffee.coop. You can go to WTFPod.com slash guide to see everyone who's been on this show. And then you, and you can also be directed to Howl.fm for the archives. All that's available to you. I know what you're wondering. But is Mark going to play guitar? Maybe. Maybe.